Michigan Rise Pre-Seed Fund 3 is proud to be a sponsor of Michigan Venture Capital Association's podcast series, Michigan VC Talk. Michigan Rise was founded in 2020 with support from the Michigan State University Foundation and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation to invest in early stage high-tech startups. This funding enables Michigan tech companies with high growth potential to meet near-term milestones and raise downstream funding for future growth. Michigan Rise partners with MVCA members focused on the earliest stages of commercialization to identify and support high potential technology startups across Michigan with capital, mentoring, assistance with grant funding, and more. To learn more about Michigan Rise, visit www.michiganrise.com. Welcome to Michigan VC Talk. My name is Ara Tapuzian, and I'm the Executive Director of Michigan Venture Capital Association. Today's guest is Jim Tinzello. He's the Vice President of Invest Michigan. Jim and I had a great conversation covering a variety of topics, including how Invest Michigan was created and the work they've done over the years with the Michigan entrepreneurial community. But we also discussed his methodology on working with entrepreneurs managing expectations, as well as his advice on how he approaches providing valuable support to them. And then we covered some of the work that's needed to help attack unconscious bias, not only here in Michigan, but around the country when it comes to helping fund diverse entrepreneurs. Take a listen to my conversation with Jim Tenzillo. Thanks for being with us today on Michigan VC Talk. It's uh, always cool to talk to you and certainly to talk to you in kind of a a podcast format. So thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's let's first start and talk a little bit about you so that our listeners have uh, an idea of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, can you chat and tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, and how and why did you want to become a venture capitalist or get into that industry? Sure, happy to. Um, so I actually grew up, was born and raised in the Chicago area, went to undergrad at the University of Illinois. Uh, and then when I was going through college, I didn't even know VC existed as a profession. Right. Uh, and, and entrepreneurship was not really an encouraged route for folks graduating college. Um, so I kind of followed the traditional path and went into corporate finance for an insurance company in Chicago. Uh, went through one of those leadership rotational programs in accounting and finance. And about five years in, I just got sick of the corporate world and wanted something more entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went back to business school and started kicking around bi- business ideas, starting my own. And then I took a few classes in venture capital and really loved them. Uh, it merged uh, my entrepreneurial spirit and helping entrepreneurs, which I really enjoyed doing with investing, which is another interest of mine as well. Right. Um, so then I just started um, networking, consulting with startups, consulting with VCs, uh, trying to transition my career from corp- corporate environment to VC. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I continued down this path, uh, when I graduated from business school, there was no VC job available. Uh, particularly, I wanted to stay in the Midwest. There just aren't a lot of those opportunities available. Um, so I went to work for a startup and spent a little less than a year there and eventually got hooked up with 
Invest Michigan. Uh, my wife is from Michigan, so that uh, kind of motivated me to look in the Michigan area. Yep. Uh, and then about, this was about five years ago, uh, was offered a role and picked up and moved and uh, haven't looked back since. I love what I do. Terrific. So you talked about, you mentioned Invest Michigan. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. what, you know, what is Invest Michigan and you know, how was it, how was it created? Mm -hmm. Uh, Invest Michigan is an early stage investor. We invest primarily at the uh, late seed stage with our first check. Uh, and we were we started back in 2014. Uh, mm -hmm. We were awarded the Michigan Pre-Seed Fund 2 at the time. Uh, so my partner, Charlie Moret, uh, incorporated Invest Michigan, set us up as a nonprofit entity. Uh, and then over the last, over 2014 to 2019, we received about 15 million from the MEDC to plug this gap between friends and family investment and institutional investment, um, particularly in Michigan and in technology companies. Um, so since that time, we've made 118 investments into 53 different companies. 47% uh, okay. of those were uh, female or entrepreneurial entrepreneurs of color led mm -hmm. businesses. Great. Um, and we've had 13 exits so far. We've successfully transitioned into an evergreen fund. Um, so what that means is we're self-sustaining as our exits come back, they go right back into the fund uh, to continue supporting operations and continue investment. Um, okay. So today, yeah, so today we're uh, still active uh, with our current portfolio and new investments. Uh, in fact, we're making a new investment here any day now. And okay, great. Yeah, yeah, and we're still continuing to support Michigan entrepreneurs in any way that we can. Right. So obviously these are Michigan startups. Can you, can you talk about, um, you know, maybe highlight some of the portfolio companies that you've supported over the years? Yeah, I think our, our, one of our biggest victories was Tetra Therapeutics, uh, which we were an early supporter of, and they exited last year to uh, another pharmaceutical company called Shinogi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were an early investor in auto books, which has raised uh, quite a bit of money um, over the last several years and uh, is making, landing some really big name com customers in the fintech space. Uh, we were early investors uh, in Bloomscape as well, which mm -hmm. has really exploded. Um, you know, it's on pace to be one of the big Michigan success stories uh, as it is. Um, one of our newer ones is Refraction AI, which does uh, autonomous, it's an autonomous vehicle robot delivery service. Um, right. If you're in Ann Arbor, they're delivering food to everyone down there. Um, yeah. And yeah, those, that's, those are some of the highlights. Okay. And so let's, let's maybe differentiate the, you know, a fund versus sort of a, a venture capital firm? Because again, Invest Michigan is a fund. So can you talk mm -hmm. about some of the main differences between, between the two? Yeah, so I would say you know, one of the biggest differences is that we're a nonprofit organization versus yeah. uh, many VC funds are, are for-profit. Um, so what that means, I mean, a traditional VC is set up, they take investment from folks that are looking to earn a return generally. And as returns come back, that gets distributed to these investors, uh, LPs. And how that works is LPs get their money back first. And then right. traditionally after they get their money back, then 
the remaining proceeds are split up 80% to the LPs and 20% to the GPs, uh, which are the folks managing the VC firm. Right. Uh, with with our fund, our returns uh, just get recycled. So uh, we do have to pay the MEDC back their money, but there's no 80-20 split after that. Um, so as our money comes back in, uh, we can redeploy it as investments into uh, new companies, existing companies if we want. Um, so there's, uh, I would say that that's probably the Yeah, those are the big difference. difference. Are, yeah. are, you, are you taking board positions or what, are there other support mechanisms that you give the entrepreneurs? Yeah, oftentimes we'll take board observer roles. We do take board seats in certain instances, uh, but there's also, there's only two of us at the organization. So we, we do have yeah. limited bandwidth. Uh, but we do uh, at least try to meet with our entrepreneurs regularly in uh, any way that we could support them, whether it's an introduction or sitting down and going through go-to-market strategy or financing strategy, um, particularly at the seed stage, uh, we try right. to do whatever we can. Right. So let's let's talk about the entrepreneurs a little bit more because um, I know offline you and I have had some sort of discussions and thoughts on, on um, uh, maybe some expectations of entrepreneurs um, that are looking for venture or, or pre-seed, uh, seed kind of funding. Can mm-hmm. you, t- let's talk, get, get your advice. So mm-hmm. what are some of these expectations, maybe this valuation expectation an entrepreneur has or what, what should they have? Yeah, I, I think going in when you're taking money from an investor, just knowing that uh, you will get a lot of benefit out of it, but it also comes with some costs. And right. those costs are you're giving up ownership in your company. You now have investors and a board to answer to. Um, you don't get to make carte blanche, call the shots, those types of decisions. Um, so going in, just knowing that they're, and then you have stakeholders that are going to be looking for an exit and a return. Um, so you have to be ready to grow quickly, drive to an exit, et cetera. Um, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I see entrepreneurs make uh, when they approach VCs is they come in with valuation expectations that maybe they're pulled from comps, but these comps right. come from like Silicon Valley, where yeah. the cost of living is <laughs> twice as much as it is here, and where the supply and demand of capital is just very different than it is in the Midwest. Um, so, you know, tying yourself down at, at an early stage to a number and like sticking your f- flag in the sand and saying, well, I'm not right. taking money unless it's at this price, um, unless you have an alternative option, um, you know, it's, it's, is that the best interest? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that, is that the biggest hang up, Jim, that, that these entrepreneurs have is just that, that they're, again, they're comparing themselves to the East West coast and feel if they can get it, you know, if, if companies can get that kind of money there, they can get it here. Are there other sort of hangups that they run into? I'd say that's the biggest one. Um, yeah. You know, the, another one that we see often is a reluctance to want to put together a board of directors. Okay. And you know, I, I, what I've heard is that people will say, well, the board can fire me. And it's very rare. I mean, when investors invest in your company, they're investing, especially at the early stage, they're yeah. investing in you just as much as the company. So investors aren't looking to come into a company to fire the CEO. Yeah. Um, they may so, be watching too many uh, television shows that 
Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where they, where they get a lot of that from, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's probably, <laughs> there's probably some truth to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are, those are the bigger, bigger hangups, but it, you know, it's okay. important to, to know, like, unless you have this alternative, uh, which, you know, could be competing term sheets um, or maybe your cash flow positive and you can continue on, you don't necessarily need the money. Right. Um, it's, it's hard to paint yourself into, you don't want to paint yourself into a corner when it comes to certain terms. So if you can get an entrepreneur to understand what an accurate valuation on their, their company or their, their product is, mm-hmm. how, how do you work with them or, or just maybe in general, how do entrepreneurs, you know, drive up their valuation? Yeah, I would say, well, I don't know if it's the easiest way, but the easiest way yeah. is to execute and grow your business as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I would say momentum is one of the more important things when it comes to sales or user traction. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're really humming on the sales side, the money will come. Um, right. you know, it's also important to establish relationships with a lot of different VCs, uh, both locally and then you know anyone that invests in your industry specifically or your geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, another mistake I see entrepreneurs make is a shotgun approach to investor outreach, oh, yeah. and it can be very time-consuming. And every minute you spend fundraising is a minute you could be working on your business and growing sales. Right. So the more the more targeted you can get with your outreach and networking and relationship building, uh, that just pays off dividends. Uh, long-term. Well, and sometimes you only have one shot at this too. If you're, so if you're employing a, a shot kind of approach, which I've often used that same terminology um, for folks that just want to network in general, mm-hmm. shotgun approaches never work. Right. And um, I, I, it would be the same if you're going after venture, you, you just can't, you just can't throw it out there like that. And in some cases, you, you know, you may shoot yourself. Uh, uh, just for any kind of future involvement. What, totally. Yeah. What, what about other recommendations you give entrepreneurs? Let's maybe talk about, you know, you had mentioned that some entrepreneurs are uh, maybe scared about having advisors or, or board of directors, but there's a value and an importance to that. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, not just even just advisors, board of directors, I would also throw in there a peer network. Um, okay, sure. It's hard, it's hard to build a company, just period. And the more people you have around to support you, to listen to you, to bounce ideas off of, uh, I think the better. And then, you know, as you start growing that network um, of advisors, uh, your board, peers, uh, becomes on you to kind of siphon through the advice and, and choose what's best for you. Um, but, you know, at, at the board level and at the advisor level, you know, it's, it's great to, I think there's a level of self-awareness you have to have when you're a CEO yeah. in particular, recognizing what your strengths are and where you're not as strong. And so if you're building out an advisory board or a board of directors, complementing your strengths with areas you're not as strong in um, that it's kind of a recipe for success that I would see. Uh, also, you know, on the advisor side, if you can get an entrepreneur that has uh, been successful in the industry that you're operating in, or 
uh, led a startup before. It, it, it gives a level of credibility to your startup when you're talking to investors, when you're talking to customers. Um, right. So it can be building out those three networks that are very important. So go on the other side of that table. You've, you've seen some probably good and maybe not so good board members. Mm-hmm. You know, what, <laughs> what, uh, what, what do you think comprises a, a good board member? Um, man. Careful if uh, there's good board members or <laughs> not good board members out there listening, right? You want to be careful. But what, I, really, what would go into being a good, good board member for, for a CEO? Yeah, I, I think a self-awareness, again, on the board side. So a yeah. board member who knows what they know and they know what they don't know, and they know when to give advice and when to kind of take a back seat. Um, okay. You know, the, the, the board is not meant to obstruct in any way. Uh, it's more meant to be strategic advice. It's meant to steer the company, make sure that they're working on the right things. Um, so board members that understand that is important. Um, you know, I personally just over the, I've been in hundreds of board meetings now and mm-hmm. I've noticed that the best board members uh, are ones that will really get to know the company in depth. Um, yeah. So getting to know the industry, they're having meeting a meeting before the board meeting, which arguably is the most important meeting more important than the board meeting. So they, they're surprised by nothing at board meetings. They have relationships with other employees. So they get a full 360 view. Um, and those are, I mean, those people that kind of go the extra mile like that are, are ones you want to have on your side. Yeah. Terrific. Another topic you and I have talked about offline and one that's um, I think important to all of us is really, you know, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And certainly 2020 um, had its share of social injustice. And um, maybe the positiveness that came out of that is maybe this increased awareness in general. And and we know that in venture capital um, and in entrepreneurs receiving funding, there is a disparity. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's, it's what I think we in part call unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's something that uh, a lot of us do with intention, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you and I've kind of talked about a little bit on uh, offline and, and wanted to get kind of your, your thoughts on, on a lot of these sort of, you know, points, Mm -hmm. but where would you, where would you like to start with that? Um, yeah, you know, I guess just at a baseline, I think venture capital is a relatively newer industry you know, within yeah. the last 50 years or so. And I think there are certain mental models and rules that people live by and have lived by in the industry that have bred success. So I think you get a lot of people trying to replicate, you know, these are the best practices, but I think right. we're at a point right now where uh, those best practices need to be picked up and shattered and almost re- yeah. it's going to require like a, just a different type of thinking and a different type of way of looking at things. Right. Um, like, like hiring for culture fit is something yeah. we've talked about is maybe that is just something that needs to be thrown out the window and changed. Right. Yeah. That to me 
is one of the biggest perpetuators of affinity bias, which is the unconscious bias to want to be around people that look and think and talk like you do. Um, So as opposed to uh, culture fit, one of the terms I've heard folks, which I really like talk about is culture add. So you want people that'll bring outside perspectives that bring diversity, that bring different experiences to the table. Um, and, And science has shown that these or data has shown that these lead to more successful companies. Um, that's just the fact. Right. Um, so I, you know, I think when, when you're making those hiring decisions, it's, it's a little bit more work to kind of go outside your network, mm-hmm. but looking for the culture ad will lead to better business outcomes. It, it brings fresh perspectives. It brings creativity. If everyone has had the same types of experiences, thinks the same way, when you're faced with a problem, you're going to get the same type of thinking to attack that problem. And oftentimes you want to take in a diverse perspective because it could be the off the wall answer in your, in your mind that gets the problem solved or gets the company yeah. over a hump. Well, and if you're, and if you're the investor, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got maybe the circle that you network within, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the difficulty sometimes is really thinking, you know, an overused phrase, but one that makes sense is out of the box thinking, right. Mm-hmm. It is to be able to look outside of your network and, and, um, try to expand that reach. So again, to your point, so you're getting different perspectives and, and again, as an investor, if you're, if you're going out of your, your normal network and expanding, yeah, that that can be very profitable in in the long run, certainly. Mm-hmm. For sure, and I think there's a big arbitrage out there. You have a lot of entrepreneurs that have been held back by systemic problems in our uh, country and way of life, and have had to persevere through a lot throughout their lives. And perseverance right. and grit and toughness when you're trying to evangelize a product or start a company. These are the traits you want in entrepreneurs. So folks yeah. that have been systemically held back, um, I, I believe make the best entrepreneurs. Um, so I think it requires just a different way of evaluating opportunities as a venture capitalist. So if you're the entrepreneur, how do you, mm-hmm. you know, what's your edge to try and get funding if it's been difficult for you um, in, in that regard? What do you yeah, think? Is there, is there, um, I don't think there's a secret to it. And it, it's certainly that much more difficult. And we're, we're talking about not only, um, you know, female entrepreneurs, we're talking of people of color, mm-hmm. you know, is, is there, is there maybe uh, a secret sauce that an entrepreneur can use to, that kind of pushes them over the edge in a, in a positive way? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think there's one magic bullet, but I, you know. I just in, um, in fundraising, especially at the early stage, storytelling becomes such an important part and capturing yeah. the imagination of, of investors as well. Um, so one of the folks, I mean, VCs traditionally look for, does this person have entrepreneurial experience? Have they worked at a tech company before? And for a lot of these groups, you know, maybe that hasn't been an option to date, but there, there has definitely been something in an entrepreneur's background that kind of led them down this road of entrepreneurship, you know, whether they 
had to overcome a big obstacle growing up or whether they, um, you know, just to make an easy example, you know, scaled their lemonade stand to a thousand dollars in sales or something like that. Um, but you know, incorporating those types of narratives into your story when you're talking to folks, um, I, I think that goes farther than some people think. Yeah. And it's getting better, right? Don't you think it's getting better? We, you know, at Michigan Venture Capital Association does a annual research report that you know, mm-hmm. um, and we, we do cover uh, some of the data that, that shows um, that it is getting better, although it's, it's you know, the, again, the disparity um, overall is, is still huge. But um, comparatively, Midwest versus the coastal regions, it, it seems to be getting better. What what are you what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely making progress. Certainly, the fact that we're having this conversation um, and other folks are having the conversation brings awareness yeah. to the problem at the very least. Uh, and then there are initiatives like the NVCA starting venture forward. Right. Um, you know, I, I think there are groups out there that are being intentional about it, but it's, uh, I think it's kind of incumbent on this next generation to not fall back into kind of old habits and that this is more of a uh, cliche, but more of a movement than a moment. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, and I think it, it's incumbent to bound uh, uh, with every one of us to really be more deliberate you know, in, in our approaches as, you know, as we look at, at look at different things, Jim, as we're drawing kind of toward the end, um, you're a young investor. I know you're younger than me, so I can say that <laughs> um, in, in your, let's say relatively short period of time in, in this sort of industry, what, what kinds of lessons have you already learned um, it, either positive, negative that you would, you would um, like to talk about? Yeah. I mean, just building off what we just talked about, the importance of an open mind um, and kind of avoiding falling into these unconscious bias traps or uh, narratives or rules that are already out there in VC. I mean, one of the things that I have found it helpful is to question everything, question assumptions, question uh, the way things are done. Because um, that's the yeah. way you kind of lead to innovation. Uh, another thing too, I've learned to trust my gut. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's just important in, in anything. But I think the mistakes that I've made personally in investing are when my gut was telling one thing, but for some reason uh, I was like, no, you, you know, I overlooked something or looked past, you know, a big red flag, for instance. Um, you know, some other things that. It's really hard to build a company. Um, it's a, I, you know, another one too. I think that doesn't get talked about as much is it's important for founders and people um, that are growing companies to take time for themselves. Um, mm. It's very stressful and it can be very lonely and difficult. Um, so one of the things that lately that I've been encouraged encouraging all our founders to do is like you know, find an activity or something that's just for you where you can turn it off because uh, it's very easy to get sucked in and work 24 seven. Um, right. But it leads to burnout. Well, that goes um, for all of us, doesn't it? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. In a, in a pandemic where um, sometimes our office uh, is at home. 
it's sure. uh it's hard to kind of turn it turn it off and and walk away from it for sure yeah, definitely jim what do you what do you think about midwest as as a whole it's something we've talked about more too in i think in the last you know few years and certainly you know those of us in michigan often in our everyday discussions in either talking to someone out of the state of Michigan or whether it's an entrepreneur or investor and, and they ask about the, the makeup of, of the state of Michigan. You know, we, we often say that we're not comparable mm-hmm. to, you know, the coastal regions, but w- what do you think of the Midwest region and, you know, what's, what's working, what's not working, what, you know, what do we need to do? You know, I, outside of what we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you think we are on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think there are definitely a lot of strengths in the Midwest and just a huge opportunity from an investment standpoint. You have so many strong companies, uh, not enough capital to support them, which, you know, if you're an investor looking for an arbitrage, you know, this is like a hotbed for it. Um, right. I, I think some of the, uh, traits that are ingrained in folks in the Midwest, like toughness and grit, um, entrepreneurial spirit, you know, all that comes through when building companies. Um, you know, the cost of living is quite, quite a bit different than New York and San Francisco. So you don't have to raise as much, uh, which is, you know, which can be a plus. And, you know, some of the top universities as far as R&D are in the Midwest. So the infrastructure I feel like is, is here for the Midwest to thrive. Um, You know, some of the things I see as not working, I think in some of the up and coming ecosystems, there's a scarcity mentality. Um, So I I think you have uh, this mindset that there's only enough uh, entrepreneurial resources or capital or startups uh, or talent to go around. And instead of kind of working on expanding the pie, right. uh, I, I think you have a lot of folks that are working on grabbing as much of the pie as they can, even at the expense of others. Um, so I think, and, and I, from what I hear, this is very common, you know, outside of Michigan as well. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of like the rising tide raises all boats. I think if you're building a community, there's got to be, uh, you know, celebrating everyone's victories, no matter what, there's got to be people going out there trying to expand the pie, uh, which, you know, some people are, but I think uh, the folks that are kind of fighting over pie slices, uh, bring it down a little bit. Um, right. You know, I would say another Another thing that I, I wish I would see more in the Midwest is more corporations getting involved in mm. entrepreneurial ecosystems as customers, as investors, as acquirers. Um, we need more exits for the Midwest to thrive, sure. like the Valley or Boston or New York. Um, but if corporations aren't looking to acquire companies in the Midwest, um, right. you know, that it's won't be happen. difficult. Yeah, yeah, definitely difficult. Jim, thanks for talking to us today. Um, this was a pleasure to kind of catch up again with you. Uh, you, you have also want to give you kind of a little plug. You're doing. Um, you're, you you made a New Year's resolution I to did. write some more and uh, put some. So I'll give you a quick plug for that. What 
tell everybody what you're, you're doing and maybe where they can find some more information about it. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, I've been trying to be a little bit more intentional on blog posts and putting content out there. So I have a Medium account. It's Jay Tenzillo. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, trying to be more active on there, at For Real Jim. And those are, and then I'm LinkedIn, um, a little bit more active on that platform as well. So yeah, for VCs, for entrepreneurs alike. Jim, thanks for being on today. We definitely appreciate having you on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ara. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Michigan VC Talk. This show focuses on guests that are investors, entrepreneurs, and other thoughtful leaders that are making a difference in the Michigan ecosystem. Produced by Michigan Venture Capital Association, a nonprofit trade organization designed to bring together venture capital industry participants in the state of Michigan and act as the voice of the Michigan entrepreneurial and investment community. For more information, visit us online at michiganvca.org.